Well, my name is Stuart Mazel. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. It is great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us, uh, visitors and members alike. Thank you for joining us online or on the podcast. We really appreciate um, you connecting with us, and we hope that we are able to connect with you uh, better. Uh, we are continuing a series on values. We've been talking about how values are important and how we need to value Jesus above everything else and how we need to make sure that when we uh, value others that we need to be uh, connecting with them and, and understanding who they are and we put great value on them because they're made in the image of God as, uh, as Tim prayed earlier today. Today we're going to be looking at a passage that you may be a little bit surprised by. You may think, wait, this is a different kind of series, and that's okay, but I do want you to stick with us, and you'll see where we're going, I think, sometime in the middle of the sermon, maybe. But we're going to be looking at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. For some of you, this is a very familiar passage. For some of you, it may be the first time. But this is what God's word says from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let me pray for us. Father, help us today to focus on what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Because sometimes we can be stubborn and stiff-necked. Sometimes we can just be distracted. And, and sometimes we just need to be taught. Would you give us what we need to be able to hear the truth and respond to it with real faith, with real repentance, and with real obedience and, and Jesus, we pray that you would be the one who preaches to us today, that we would hear your voice, and we would hear of your love for your church, and that that would stir within us great affection, not only for you, but for your body. And we pray this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your glory, amen. Let me just say uh, real quickly, this past week I've been sick, and um, if you see me popping halls, that's so I don't cough in the microphone today. 
I will also probably be drinking more water. I'm always having problems with uh, hydration, and this is one of those days where I might need to take a little bit more, so hopefully that won't be too distracting. All that to say, now here's the sermon. I think it's safe to say that the church, generally speaking, has a reputation problem. I don't think that in culture at large, the church in general has a great reputation right now. If you look at the books that have been written in the last several years that are assuming a negative view on the church, you definitely think the church has an image problem, has a reputation problem. For example, why men hate going to church, empty church, why people don't come and what to do about it. So you don't want to go to church anymore. Autopsy of a deceased church. Why nobody wants to go to church anymore. Empty the pews. Tired of apologizing for a church I don't belong to. Loving God when you don't love the church. Church refugees. They like Jesus, but not the church. You lost me. Why young Christians are leaving church and rethinking faith. Post-traumatic church syndrome. Unchurching. Why we don't need the church any longer. Quitting church. How to be a Christian without going to church. Life after church. Leaving the church to follow Jesus. And my favorite... Love Jesus, hate church, how to survive in church, or die trying. That's a lot of books that have been written about how the church has a bad reputation and what to do about it. Top all of that off, a Gallup poll from uh, recently said that 31% of Americans have a lot of confidence in the church, 31%. That's down from 68%, same poll given in 1975. So in the last 50 years, 40, 50 years, our reputation has definitely gone down. On the bright side, the church did have a higher score than Congress. (laughs) Only 7% of Americans have a lot of trust in Congress, apparently. Anyway, the church's reputation has definitely suffered among younger people, 16 to 29. According to the book Unchristian, here is a partial list of adjectives used to describe the church. Judgmental, hypocritical, out of touch with reality, insensitive, boring, too involved with politics. And that's just some of the negative adjectives. I left some of them out. But you know what? These criticisms of the church aren't actually new. They've been going on for quite a long time. In fact, back in 1971, before I was born, in the book Preaching and Preachers, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones commented on how the church was being criticized, and he said this, get this, with much of this criticism of the church, one has, of course, to agree. There is so much that is wrong with the church 
traditionalism, formality, and lifelessness, and so on. And it would be idle and utterly foolish to deny this. Often one really has to ask about certain gatherings and communities of people whether they are entitled to the name church at all. The church so easily can degenerate into an organization or even perhaps a social club or something of that kind so that it is often necessary to raise the whole question of the church herself. We might expect people outside the church to criticize the church. We might expect younger people to criticize the church. But this is a wise, well-respected, and somewhat famous pastor who admits that much of the criticism about the church has a ring of truth about it. We should probably take note of that. But I don't want to say all this to make you feel guilty about being the church. I want to tell you this because despite all of that, despite all of our flaws and our failures and our problems, despite the fact that we are a messed up group of people as the church, Jesus loves the church. The value, and this is the big point today, the value Jesus bestows on the church is staggering. It is absolutely staggering to see the value that Jesus says, this is the way I value you, church. Let's think about it from this passage. It starts with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I know the primary application of this passage is to husbands. And I know Valentine's Day is coming up this week. I did not intend for those two things to happen. There is lots of application that we can give to husbands. And at some point, we probably need to do that. Today is not one of those days, unfortunately. Today is a day where I want you to see the truth behind the application. The application is specifically to husbands, but we need to see the truth behind that that application. Jesus loves his church. And if Jesus loves his church, how ought we to think about the church? That's what I really want to deal with today. We'll talk to husbands later. So the way Christ loves his church, the way he values his church is staggering. Now, first of all, we absolutely have to talk about the the very first thing, definitions. What do we mean when we say the church? First of all, we're not saying that Jesus loves this building. It's a nice building. I'm glad that we have this building. But if this building burned down tomorrow, Jesus would still love his church and not think that anything had been lost. Because the church is not the building. The church is not the service either. I know sometimes people say, oh yeah, I went to church today. 
Church is not really the service. And it's not a good service. Oh, we really had church today. Nope, not that either. All those things that we say, there are some kind of uh, abbrevi- not abbreviations, there are some kind of deviations from the true meaning of the word church. The true meaning of the word church is the people who belong, you, the people gathered together to say we are a church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And even if we met in a field out in a backyard somewhere, we'd still be the church. It doesn't have to be in a building. The church is the people, and that is who Jesus loves. Okay, I hope we got that straightened out. The next definition we have to talk about is the word love. You know, in our society, we love to use the word love. We say things like, I love going to the beach. Or I love coffee. Or I love a nice, juicy steak. What we mean when we say that is we enjoy those things. We enjoy them. But the kind of love Christ has for the church that is expressed in this passage far exceeds simple enjoyment, okay? Far exceeds that. And we can sometimes use the word love as a way of saying... I have a general positive disposition towards you. I've I've been told that when I hear the words, oh yeah, I love you. That's, yeah, I don't want any harm to come to you. And you're okay to be around. And if you were in the hospital with some dread disease, I'd probably think about you. And I'd feel bad that you were there. But I wouldn't do anything. That's not the kind of love expressed by Jesus to his church either. No, his love for his church is so much deeper. It is so much wider. It is so much broader. It is so much higher than any kind of love we can really experience anywhere else. We need the Spirit's help just to be able to understand how wonderful the love of Jesus is for his church. His love for us is staggering. It is astounding. And I hope to show you a little bit of that, just a little taste of it today. Because this astonishing value that Jesus places on the church can be seen in at least three ways. It can be seen in lots of other ways, but just three ways we're going to talk about today. The first is this, and I want you to hear this, because If you've been in church for a while, you know these words, but do you know these words? Jesus calls the church his bride. His bride. Jesus calls the church, that church that all those books are written about, about how bad we are. He says, you are my bride. Again, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We see the analogy already forming 
And then in verse 31 and 32, verses 31 and 32, we read these amazing words. It's a quote from Genesis 1. Sorry, I'm biting my halls. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we read that and say, yeah, that's about Adam and Eve. Got it. And then from there on, it's about any man and woman who get together and they're married. Got it. But Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You're thinking on only one level, and Jesus wants you to see that there's another level, that your marriage, my marriage, anyone's marriage is meant to point to something greater, the relationship of Jesus with his church. To see how staggering this love really is, let's just back up for a minute and ask. How do we think about brides? How do we think about going after a bride, man? I just ask the men a question for a moment. Have you ever heard of uh, Julia Tutwiler? I hope I'm saying that right. Prison for Women. It's in Alabama. It's a maximum security prison for women. In Alabama. It's the place where Alabama houses their death row uh, prisoners. How many of you men, when you were looking for a wife, said, hey, this would be a great place to pick up someone? I, I doubt it. But hey, maybe orange is the new white. Right? (laughs) But if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He sought out people who were on death row. Sinners whose sin is cosmic treason against the God of the universe. And yet he entered the space of those death row prisoners, not only to get some of them pardoned, but to say, I want you to be my wife. I want you to be my bride. I want you to be in this relationship where we are with each other forever. Again, any takers for the single men here today going to one of those prisons and doing the same? That's staggering. That's astounding, the kind of value that Jesus has placed on his church. Do you see that? He made prisoners. He made death row inmates his bride And folks, I want to say this very clearly, very clearly. If we say we love Jesus, but we don't love his church, something is amiss. If some of you came to me and said, I really like you, Stuart. I could even say that I love you, but your wife, I just can't stand her. 
First of all, I think you are nuts because you have clearly backed the wrong horse. But second, how do you think that I'm going to handle that news? That you love me, but you can't stand the person on earth that I love the most. (laughs) And how do you think Jesus thinks when we say, we love you, Jesus, but your church really stinks. I don't want to have anything to do with your church. I get it. The church has problems. And sometimes we ignore those problems to our detriment. And we need to own that. We need to say, yeah, we've got problems, but we are loved. We are loved by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We're loved deeply and amazingly in such a way that he says he wants us to be his bride. With all of our failures, with all of our misdeeds, with all of our junk. As Derek Webb once sang, you cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, speaking of Jesus, you will love the church. There's a second reason why Jesus his, the value that he places on, on the church is so staggering. Not only does he call us his bride, which is amazing enough, Jesus also calls the church his body. His body. Again, those of you who have been in the church for a while, you say, well, I know that. Yeah. Church is the body of Christ. Got it. Let's move on. No, you're not getting it. If, if you have that cavalier of a way of thinking about what Jesus is saying here, you're not understanding it. And I hope you will get that in just a few minutes because in verse 25 we see, husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. That's amazing. And then in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself This is for husbands. Husbands, the call of Jesus in your life is to love your wife the way you love your own body. For some of us, we don't treat our bodies very well, so maybe you need to think about that a bit. But in general, most of us are trying to care for our bodies. We don't want bad things to happen to our bodies. And, and Jesus is saying you got to care for her the way you care for yourself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Whoa. And then again, verses 31 and 32, quoting Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ 
and the church. What Jesus is saying to us when he says, you're my body, is how he loves us so deeply, so well, so immensely, that he says, you are part of me. Let me say that again. Jesus loves his church so immensely that he says, you, church, are a part of me. That's how much love, that's how much value I place upon you. That ought to stun everyone in this room. It certainly stuns me. Because again, when I think about what it is that I want my body to be like, I don't think about, oh, well, I want, you know, toenails that are fungusy. I don't want that. And yet Jesus looks at those of us who are fungusy and he says, You're part of my body. I don't want organs that don't work. And yet there are some organs in the body of Christ that he says, okay, I know you're not working, but I love you and you're part of my body. I want you to work, but you're still my body, even if you're not right now. Do you you feel the great love that Jesus has for us to call us his body? I don't deserve that. You guys don't deserve that. No one deserves that. And yet that's what Jesus says. You're my body. We're his body. And he loves his body the way he loves himself. Wow. So much value placed upon the church. And if that wasn't enough... Not only does Jesus show us tremendous value by calling us his bride, not only does Jesus show us amazing value by saying, you're my body, but Jesus also shows us value when he says how he loves us. It's about the love and care that he shows for us. The love and care Jesus lavishes upon the church is profound. It's profound. Not just calling us his bride, not just calling us his body, but doing something. Active. Not just words, but an active pursuit. Verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We could spend all day talking about that. The fact that the most valuable person in the universe was willing to lay down his life for us. Most of us are not willing to lay down our life For anybody. Maybe our children. 
maybe your spouse. But not that dude down the street. I won't lay down my life for him. You know what kind of jerk he is? I wouldn't lay down my life for her. Do you know what she said about me? Do you know how she treats me? Jesus saw what we were doing, how we treated him, how we spoke about him, how we were doing all kinds of things that were going against who he is. And he said, not only do I call you my bride, not only do I call you my body, but I love you and I will give myself up for you. Absolutely lay down my life for you. It's so staggering that a little bit of silence wouldn't hurt us at this moment. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And here's what he says in verse 26 and following. That he might sanctify her. That he might take her in her filth and in her nastiness and in all the mess that she's in and the pigsty of filth that she's living in and say, I'm taking you out of that and I'm setting you apart for me. And I'm going to cleanse you by the washing of water with my word and I'm going to present you to myself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that you might be holy, that you might be set apart from sin, set apart from evil, set apart from this present evil age, and that you might have no blemishes. You know, like what we tend to think of as the wedding day, when the bride walks down the aisle, with that beautiful dress and the hair done just right and the makeup done just right and she looks stunning. And everybody stands and turns and looks at her and says, wow, she's so beautiful. That's what Jesus is doing for you, church. That's what Jesus is doing for you. Making you that bride that walks down the aisle so stunning, so beautiful that everybody will turn and say, wow, look at that. That's the most amazingly beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And that's what we will be when Jesus is finished with us. And yet right now, we're still in the makeup room. We don't have the dress on yet. And maybe we're trying to fit on a girdle, you know, to keep some of the pounds back. I don't know what it is that we're doing in there, but we're not where we need to be yet. But Jesus is going to make sure that we're there. Isn't that good news, you guys?
What great value Jesus places on you. And then in verse 29, and as I was reading this passage, even in my sickness this week, as I was reading this passage this week, it just floored me. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Wait a second, let me read that again. Nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What does Christ do for the church? He nourishes us. He cherishes us. Most of the time I do not feel like a cherished person. Most of the time I feel like the only value that I really have is that I give things to other people. Just telling you how it is. You know what I give to Jesus? My sin. And that's it. I give nothing else no other value, just my sin. And yet, he says of me, I will nourish you. I will cherish you. You're mine. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. And that's what he does for you. Church, do you see the value that Jesus places upon you? With that in mind, here's your action point for today. Since Jesus values you, the church, you value Christ's church. Value Christ church. We are the people that Jesus died for. We are the people that Jesus says he nourishes and cherishes. So let's value the church. Now you might say, okay, well, how do I show value? I know one way we value things. Um, it's where our cash goes. That's just honest. You know, um, the average American spends at least $297 a month on entertainment. The average American. Is there anything wrong with entertainment? No. I mean, not necessarily, not just in general. There's nothing wrong with spending some money on entertainment, okay? I don't, I don't want to try to say it's wrong to ever do anything that entertains you. Good grief. I don't want to be that fuddy-duddy. God doesn't want to be that fuddy-duddy. But, according to an article in Christianity Today, only 5% of church members give regularly. And nationwide, Christians today give 2.5% of their income to the church. I think there might be some values reassessment we need to think about there. 
Another way we show value, and I'm going to borrow a phrase that uh, I've heard from Joel Chandler several times. I don't know where he is, if he's in here or not. Joel will say, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. For those of you who are spelling challenged, (laughs) that's time. You value something, you give your time. And we show what we value by the time that we spend. The ent- almost the entire nation is going to pause tonight because we value something. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to watch a football game. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But we pause everything for that one game. People will stand in line, not literally, they'll do it online, for Taylor Swift tickets. So much so that they break the internet. Because they value her music. Nothing wrong with that. But for the church, for Christians, for those of us who say we love Jesus, do we value the Super Bowl and do we value the uh, music and, and entertainment and other forms of things, and other distractions more than we do Jesus? If we do, we need to address that. And a third way we value something, and this is probably the most important, that's why I saved it for last, is engagement. Engagement. You can throw money at someone and not really give them the time of day. I don't really care about you, but I'll throw money at you to get you off my case. You can spend time with someone and not really value them. I know that for a fact. And you do too. You've been with people who have spent time with you, but they didn't really value you. But when we value something, we will engage We're all in, like the Super Bowl, like Taylor Swift, like whatever it is that you value the most. We're all in. We're engaged. We spend time. We spend money. We put energy and effort into whatever it is that we value because we value it. And so for some of us today, valuing Christ's church, some of us may be the first step of valuing the church that Jesus loves is admitting that we haven't valued the church. They say that the first step to recovery is admitting that you got a problem. For some of us, maybe we value the church by seeing our time has been wrapped up in things that aren't as valuable as Jesus and his church. And we just need to say, I'm sorry, And change that. Maybe 
Maybe some of us have valued the church, but only in a partial way. And forgive me for this illustration. But it's like when you go to Chick-fil-A and you get their chicken nuggets. Those things are delicious, right? And you can eat them without the sauce, and they're still good. But some of their sauces are really good. I prefer the uh, sweet and spicy sriracha. That's a good sauce. But you know what? I can eat them without the sauce. And sometimes we treat the church like sauce. I can live with it. I can live without it. It's probably better if I enjoy it, but, you know, it's just sauce. That's not the way Jesus sees us. Jesus doesn't see us as just sauce. He sees us as the whole meal. He sees us as everything because he has come to say, you're my bride, you're my body, and I will nourish you and cherish you forever. That's how Jesus views the church. And so church, because of the love Jesus has for his church, let's grow in loving church like he does. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Lord Jesus, I am floored by your love for me and for these people, for your church. We, we don't deserve that type of love, and yet you have lavished us with it. Grow our love for you, but also grow our love for the church you love that we would engage, that we would value what you value, and that we wouldn't be distracted by lesser goods. Lord, we're so prone to wander, so prone to leave you, and we're so prone to leave the church. Will you help us? to see what really matters, to see what will matter throughout eternity, and that we will change our ways and value what you value for your glory, for our good, and for the good of people around us, because the world around us not only needs you, they need your body, the church. So help us. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.